The problem, the reason we keep doing one stupid thing after another, is that we don't know what purpose we want incarceration to serve. These were the words of columnist William Raspberry from his article in the Washington Post titled, What is the Purpose of Prison? This article was published on November 22, 1988. And yet, despite this article having been written so long ago, it feels as if it could very well have been written yesterday. That is because even today, it feels as if many people in positions of political power in America still are unclear on or indifferent to the purpose they want prisons and jails to serve in our society. So, in this podcast, we will be delving into what the purpose of prisons and jails in the United States currently is, as well as what the purpose of prisons and jails arguably should be. When addressing what the purpose of prisons and jails currently is in the United States, it is important to touch upon what prisons and jails were initially intended to be. As Jonathan Simon recounts in his article in The Guardian titled, Prison is Punishment Enough, but in the U.S., inmates also face violence and humiliation. The purpose of prisons and jails was initially to serve as humane alternatives to the violent scaffold mutilations and executions that were popular responses to serious crimes until the 1800s. Simon describes how, despite this rather noble initial goal of the prison system, quote, the taint of inhumanity has returned again and again in the history of the prison as one generation discovers degradation and torture in the prisons of the last. The few inspiring prison examples that exist, mostly in Nordic countries, subject to European community human rights standards, reflect enormous investments of money and attention to dignity-enhancing practices. End quote. And the reality is that these inspiring examples of more humane prisons and jails are not commonly found in the American prison system. Unfortunately, as Simon indicates, prisons and jails too often fall into becoming practitioners and producers of systemized dehumanization. According to Simon, quote, even the most promising prisons come up against the blunt incentives demonstrated by the classic 1971 Stanford prison experiment, where volunteers drawn from among Stanford's elite undergraduate men were randomly assigned to be prisoners or guards. The experiment had to be halted after only six days because the participants in both sides degenerated into dehumanizing and degrading treatment of the others, end quote. Dehumanization, then, is a function of imprisoning and also a product of that imprisonment. Despite this flaw of incarceration in the United States, as Simon points out, quote, remarkably, incarceration remains the primary mode of punishment almost everywhere, despite its dismal record, end quote. Clearly, 
The current criminal justice system endorsed by the United States is one that elicits, uses, and produces rampant dehumanization. That the American prison system, a system that purports to be at least partially designed to rehabilitate inmates, is so entrenched in the act of dehumanization is a bit counterproductive to say the least. Even states in the U.S. that have purportedly embraced rehabilitation still seem more interested in punishment than anything else. Simon explains how, quote, California, which once prided itself in evidence-based rehabilitative treatment, embraced penal segregation and warehousing prisoners in stacked bunks before dropping the number of prisoners under court pressure. In April 2011, the Supreme Court, moved by the suffering in California's hyper-overcrowded prisons that it likened to torture, ordered a massive decrease in that state's prison population. End quote. Unfortunately, it will take more than this important Supreme Court decision to change the underlying dehumanizing ideology embedded within the current U.S. criminal justice system. This is because the current U.S. criminal justice system thrives on a deep investment in punishment and dehumanization. In fact, according to John Sirico's Vice article titled How Rikers Island Became the Most Notorious Jail in America, in 2014, U.S. Attorney Preet Bahara described Rikers Island, a particularly infamous American jail compound, as having a, quote, deep-seated culture of violence, end quote. As Sirico recounted in his article, Rikers Island has been known to be the home of, quote, bureaucratic brutality, corruption, pain, and injury inflicted upon inmates who have not even been convicted of committing a crime, end quote. Despite the initial desire of those who have envisioned prisons as more humane alternatives to the previous popular forms of punishment, many jails and prisons in the U.S., such as Rikers Island, have been dehumanizing incarcerated Americans and have been the thresholds of corruption for centuries. And so often, the victims of this dehumanization are people of color. In Sirico's article, he describes how when reviewing the history of Rikers Island in the early 1800s, quote, the island's namesake was responsible for deeming handfuls of free black men, women, and children fugitive slaves, thereby enabling their kidnapping and sale in the South without trial, end quote. This description of dehumanization that exists in one of the United States' major spaces of incarceration is shocking, but it is also symbolic of a systemic flaw in the purpose of incarceration in the U.S. In order for prisons and jails to become more humane, incarceration as a practice needs to embody a purpose more than just punishment and dehumanization. American prisons and jails must adopt and embody the spirit of rehabilitation where every human being is viewed as valuable and worthy of dignity. Furthermore, 
the work that the current criminal justice system has implemented to try to ensure that their inmates do not return to criminal behavior has not nearly been substantive enough. As Graham Cates explained in his article in the Salon titled, Reinventing College for Prisoners, quote, When then President Bill Clinton signed the Violent Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act in 1994, he revoked inmate access to federal Pell Grants. In 1995, New York Governor George Pataki followed suit, eliminating tuition assistance program TAP funding for prisoners in the state. For Kathy Budin, at the time an inmate of the maximum security Bedford Hills Correctional Facility for women, it seems like college programs quote, disappeared overnight, end quote. With the loss of TAP and Pell Grants, it became practically impossible for prisoners to receive a college education. The lack of access that prisoners had to a college education as a result of the TAP and Pell Grants getting revoked was a significant political attack on the potential rehabilitation of inmates. After all, as Budin articulated, according to Cates, quote, When college was removed, instead of having a line of people walking to school, we had people sitting up in the day rooms playing cards, playing dominoes, getting in fights, end quote. As Gregory Cortez's USA Today article titled, Pell Grants for Prisoners, Obama to Give Inmates a Second Chance at College, demonstrates, Pell Grants have not been entirely abandoned. However, the messaging articulated through the initial revocation of the Pell and Tap Grants is clear, that being that the criminal justice system of the United States generally values the punishment of their inmates over their potential rehabilitation. This idea is no more apparent than in the Huffington Post article titled U.S. Prisoners the Least Rehabilitated in the World by Christopher Zukas, which explains how, quote, in addition to locking people up at unprecedented rates, America also lays claim to the highest recidivism rate in the world, a staggering 76%. Compare that with Norway, which boasts the lower rate of at just 20%, end quote. The fact that so many criminals in the United States return to crime following their incarceration is a prime example of how rehabilitation is not nearly as valued in the United States as much as it should be. That brings us directly to our final topic in the question of what the purpose of prisons and jails is. That being, what purpose prisons should serve going forward. In my opinion, there should be a balance between the principles of punishment and rehabilitation in the criminal justice system. However, as of right now, the scales of justice are incredibly imbalanced, weighing far more heavily on the principles of punishment than the principle of rehabilitation. We as a society need to balance those scales, and in order to do that, we must more heavily emphasize the rehabilitation of inmates. Other criminal justice models from around the world demonstrate that a more powerful focus on rehabilitation instead of punishment would be incredibly beneficial to American society. In fact, on August 29th, 
2018, the Vera Institute of Justice tweeted that, quote, American prisons are designed to dehumanize people. But in Germany, prisons are grounded in rehabilitation and human dignity, not punishment. That's why its incarceration rate and even its recidivism and crime rate is lower. We know there's a better way. End quote. The Vera Institute of Justice even highlighted some very insightful steps that the U.S. criminal justice system can and should take in order to attain this better way in its article titled, Bringing Dignity to Life Behind Bars. In Bringing Dignity to Life Behind Bars, it is explained how, quote, for incarcerated men and women, 95% of whom will return home, the possibility of rehabilitation is undermined by the brutality and the monotony of life behind bars, end quote. This article explores how this severe societal problem can be mitigated by illustrating how, quote, our work includes ending the widespread use of solitary confinement, protecting people from sexual assault, exploring better ways to better connect people who are incarcerated with their families, and expanding access to higher education in prison. It also draws on lessons from countries that take a much less punitive approach to confinement with far better results, end quote. One such country with a less punitive approach to confinement than the United States is Sweden. As Erwin James explains in his article from The Guardian titled, Prison is not for punishment in Sweden. We get people into better shape. Nice Obegi, the director general of Sweden's prison and probation system, indicated that, quote, our role is not to punish. The punishment is the prison sentence. They have been deprived of their freedom. The punishment is that they are with us, end quote. As opposed to the United States, which has the highest recidivism rate in the world and has brought about mass incarceration, Sweden, which focuses on a central idea of reintegrating prisoners back into society instead of merely punishing them, has had declining numbers of prisoners in recent years. According to James, quote, since 2004, Swedish prison numbers have fallen from 5,722 to 4,500 out of a population of 9.5 million. And last year, four of the country's 56 prisons were closed and parts of other jails mothballed, end quote. These criminal justice models from countries such as Germany and Sweden make it abundantly clear that a criminal justice system that understands the importance of rehabilitation just as much as punishment is one that will be beneficial to the whole country. As James recounted in his article, Obagi discussed how the population of Sweden respects the fact that nearly all of its prisoners will eventually be reintegrated back into society and specifically stated that, quote, So when you go into a political dialogue... There is a fair amount of understanding that the more we can do during this small window of opportunity when people are deprived of their liberty, the better it will be in the long run. 
end quote. The U.S. criminal justice system is too hyper-focused on punishing inmates instead of preparing them for their ultimate release. Dale D'Amico, a research assistant at the Columbia Justice Lab, asserted that, quote, incarceration in New York is no more than human warehousing, end quote. This criminal justice system is clearly broken, and the best way to fix it is to place more emphasis on the ideals of rehabilitation. As Obergi indicated, simply being in prison is punishment enough. Prisoners should not have to endure the grueling dehumanization they experience every moment of every day they are incarcerated. We need to balance the scales of justice so that the principles of punishment do not so egregiously outweigh the principles of rehabilitation, and we must do so as soon as possible. Because the lives and the futures of Americans incarcerated right now is one thing that we won't get a second chance on.